Today we are starting a new three-week series simply called Calling, Failing, Grace. Uh, the most original sermon series title I've ever come up with. We are going to be talking about Peter's calling, Peter's failing, and the grace given to him. Uh, it is a vision series of sorts. Uh, the, our vision at St. Peter's Fireside, if you're new, uh, is to join God in the spiritual, social, and cultural renewal of Vancouver through communities transformed by the gospel. I love our vision. I'm behind it with all that I am. You can go online and you can listen to a series we did called All Things New, where we look at these three types of renewal and how God wants to bring them about in and through us. Uh, but this, this, this vision series is a little bit of a different focus. We don't want to focus just on the renewal that God wants to bring. What's crucially important to our vision is the community that God is calling us to be, a community transformed by the gospel. Because I'm convinced that uh, who God desires us to be, who God desires us to be as a community, is uh, not the byproduct of our vision, but is the foundation for it. Uh, God brings renewal through a community transformed by the gospel. So in this series, we're focusing on who we are. Uh, and again, we're going to be turning to our namesake, St. Peter, and looking at his calling, his failing, and his grace, and how God, in turn, wants us to be a community of calling, a community of failing, and a community of grace. This week, we're going to start with calling, St. Peter's calling, and our own calling. And we're going to look at three things this morning. Uh, being called beyond ourselves, uh, what the calling does within us, and where the calling leads us. If you open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 5, uh, we're going to start in verse 1. Luke writes, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught people from the boat. And he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. Now, for the sake of clarity and and especially if you're new to the scriptures. Um, scripture, uh, scripture just oscillates between what they call Peter. Peter means rock. It's a nickname that Jesus gave to a man named Simon. So sometimes scripture calls him Simon. Sometimes it calls him Peter. Sometimes it's Simon Peter. And if it's feeling particularly entertaining, it uses the Aramaic, uh, Cephas. Uh, this morning, we're just going to call him Peter for the sake of ease. Uh, Luke writes that Jesus, he's teaching a crowd by... Uh, the lakeside, and this was his practice. This is just one of many occasions. But on this occasion, Luke doesn't record what Jesus was teaching. All we get is a focus on Jesus' interaction with Peter, and so that's what we're, we need to focus on. Um, the first thing we want to take note of is that Jesus doesn't just stick to the synagogues. He doesn't just stick to the religious places. Here he's found in the common and ordinary. He's found uh, in a fisherman's boat. You could say he's a fisherman's friend. <laughs> you can thank Roger Revel for that joke. Uh, when God calls us, we should expect to hear his call in our everyday lives. God isn't just, isn't just found in religious experiences or in religious places. Uh, think of Moses. 
Old Moses was, was tending his sheep, taking them for a walk, and then he experiences the call of God. Think of Samuel. He was just a little boy trying to have a nap, and he hears the call of God. In our text today, Peter is at work, and he hears the call of God. God will meet you in your everyday existence, and he will call you from there. And his calling doesn't mean from that point onward that you'll be called out of that existence. Now, that might be the case for some of you. He might lead you elsewhere. But more often than not, however, God will call you more fully into your everyday existence. The everyday places and activities and routines will be infused with God's mission and purpose for you. And this is true because there's not one square inch of all of God's good creation that he is not in the process of renewing and reconciling to himself. But whether God calls you to another place or whether he calls you to be more fully invested where you already are, for all of us, God will always call us beyond ourselves. And God doesn't call the prepared. Uh, normally, you know, if, if you knew someone important was coming to visit, you know, you'd want to get your hair right, you know, every hair in, the right, in its right place. You'd, you'd want to get the house clean. You'd want to have like, the right clothes on because someone important's coming and you'd want them to visit you on a high note. Uh, you'd want to just be in the right state of mind for such an encounter. But Jesus, he doesn't meet uh, Peter when he has his life all together and prepared and in order. Luke says in verse 2 that the fishermen were washing their nets. Uh, Peter, there's no other way to put it, he was, he was covered in fish stank. Uh, he, you know, he's a mess. He's working. He's unprepared for such an encounter. Uh, and in verse 5, it's so telling. Um, Jesus says to Peter, put out into the deep. And let your nets for a catch. To which Peter responds, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. This is not a hive note for Peter. It's not after an evening of lucrative work. Jesus meets Peter in a place of barrenness and frustration and failure. Peter says, we've toiled all night. We've expended ourselves. We tried over and over and over again and caught nothing. Zilch. See, Jesus doesn't meet a put-together Peter. He meets a Peter who's come face-to-face -face with his own inability and limitations. But that's precisely where Jesus wants to meet Peter. Jesus wants Peter to see that he is called into something beyond his own strength, something beyond his own ability. And there's an absurdity tucked away in this text that's easy for us to miss. Uh, say you're a student, I don't know, an undergrad or graduate student, a student of life, you know, that counts. Uh, and I know this is probably hard to imagine, but bear with me. Imagine you have an exam tomorrow and you're behind on your reading for it. Tough to imagine, I know. Uh, and just, you're, you're stressed out, you're trying to get all this reading, and imagine someone you don't know comes up to you in the library or wherever you are, and they say... Um, well, have you tried reading the book this way? And they grab your book. Now, maybe you're excited. Like, hey, anything will help. Maybe they're going to teach you like a new speed reading technique or they have like a technology where they can plug the book into your brain. Like these things would be helpful and awesome. But instead, they take the book and, and, and turn it around and just start reading it upside down. Right? Like, this would not be helpful. I, I mean, this would be frustrating. You would say, you're wasting my time. Like, have you ever read a book or have you ever just encountered a stressed out student before exams? Go away. You know, you're not helpful. 
in broad daylight. Uh, Jesus says, let down your nets. And Peter responds, we've tried all night. In Peter's world, they used what are called trammel nets. I think we got a, a photo. Do we have a photo of the trammel nets? Nope. A few behind. <laughs> nope, not. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. There you go. All those slides are supposed to coincide with the sermon. Sorry about that. Um, trammel nets. Uh, they would be visible to the fish during the day, and so they were, they were used at night. Uh, incredibly efficient and effective nets at nighttime. In the day, if you use these nets, the fish literally would jump out the water and say, thank you, good sir, I bid you adieu, and they would be on their way. You did not use these nets during the day. And Jesus, in broad daylight, says, try again. Cast down your nets. It's an absurd suggestion. But nonetheless, Peter says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. We don't know why Peter is willing to try this absurd instruction. Uh, maybe it was what he heard Jesus teaching on the lakeside, you know, sitting in the boat beside him, listening to this. Maybe it's out of place of just complete desperation, a willingness to try anything, no matter how ludicrous it is. We don't get his motivations. We don't know why. But what's important is that he listens to Jesus, and he does what Jesus says. He takes Jesus at his word even if it sounds crazy, even if it doesn't make sense. Look at verses 6 and 7. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. It's a miraculous catch. Uh, it's an overabundance. Uh, so much so the boat begins to capsize. Without Jesus, Peter is just a fisherman with no fish. But, but with him, his failure is turned into success. Peter's own toil and strength had brought him nothing. But with Jesus, he enters into superabundance. This is why Jesus chooses to perform this miracle in the middle of the day. He wants Peter to understand this. That it's not just good luck or happenstance. What just occurred defies these things. Uh, Jesus, he's calling Peter beyond himself, beyond what he's able to accomplish, beyond his own limitations. When God calls us, he calls us beyond ourselves because then we have to utterly rely upon him. Our calling should cause us to say, without God, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. I can't pull this off. This is why God doesn't want us to settle for ambitions that we can accomplish on our own. He wants us to undeniably know that he made it possible. But God does this so that we can discover our utter dependence and weakness and our need for him. And in the process, discover that he is strong, and that he's faithful, and that he's good, and that he's gracious towards us. But when we encounter the calling of God, what does it do in us? That's the question. And honestly, what it does in us is quite surprising. Look at verses 8 and 9. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. 
For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. Two things happen here. There's a a shift in address, and there's a shift in perspective. Uh, This is what God's calling does in us. There's a a shift of address. Initially, Peter calls Jesus the polite uh, title of master. I always think of, you know, the karate kick, master Jesus. Uh, But then, after this encounter, he calls him Lord. There's a shift in address. Uh, Peter has witnessed that Jesus really is Lord over creation. He has command over the universe and the seas and all the little fishies therein. But Peter also has a shift in perspective. What does he go on to say? Depart from me. Literally, this could be translated, go away from me. Go away from me, for I'm a sinful man, Lord. Isn't that just a little bit of an overreaction to Jesus catching a whole lot of fish? I mean, honestly, this seems like a dramatic overreaction to the event that occurred. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, I wouldn't even mind finding out if Jesus really is who he said he is. Now, I wouldn't mind finding out if that's true, but this whole sinner business. You know, Christians are just too preoccupied with sin. I'm not a sinner, I'm a good person. And in some cases, you're right. Sometimes Christians get way too preoccupied with sin. But we have to consider goodness. Generally, when it comes to goodness, uh, we're going to try to build our sense of goodness based on a uh, technical way of comparison. Uh, I say technical because we very specifically choose the people we want to be compared to and the standard by which we want to be compared to. You know how it goes. You say, well... I'm not a murderer. You know, compared to murderers, I'm doing all right. Uh, you know, I'll, I, haven't, I haven't committed tax fraud. You know, I pay my taxes. Compared to people who do that, I'm doing all right. Like, I recycle. You know, like, compared to those heathens that don't recycle, I'm, I may as well apply for sainthood. You know, I'll be the saint Alistair of recycling. Uh, conclusion, though. Conclusion. I'm a good person. What's going on here? We derive a sense of being good as long as we get to select people that are worse than us. You know, the murderers and the frauds. If we can compare ourselves to them, then we're doing all right. And we want to set the standard which we're compared against. Uh, So if you use the extremes, the act of murder or the act of ripping off the government or or wasting creation, again, most of us are doing all right. But what if we have to be compared to someone greater than us? What if we are suddenly compared to standards that we can't attain? What would happen then? Uh, Like most kids, uh, I grew up playing sports. And the only sport that I really excelled at was baseball. Don't watch me play hockey. It's just sad. Uh, But baseball, I was pretty good. And as I got into my teens, I I, I started to get better. I I played in the B League. Not the best, not the A League, but not the worst. Not the C League, the B League. But among my peers in the B League, I was actually pretty noticeable. If you asked me, Alistair, are you a good baseball player? I'd say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm a pretty good baseball player. Each year, there are tryouts. Right? Many of you know tryout season. Stressful time. And uh, based uh, on this one day, not only would the team that you're going to be on for the rest of the year be determined, but the league that you'd be in, A, B, or C. And uh, the tryouts of my 16th year on the planet Earth, my goodness, I was amazing. Uh, I caught every ball. My arm had like supernatural strength. But the batting cage, oh, this guy before me missed every single pitch, right? So I get in there nervous. The ball's going at like 90 miles per hour. And I connect literally with every pitch. I'm not talking like half connections. I'm talking like singles and doubles, 
might as well be a home run, like, like just awesome. <laughs> and then the guy after me, he does all right. You know, so I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, if you asked me after that tryout, hey, Alistair, on a scale of one to 10, uh, how awesome are you? <laughs> I would have said my awesomeness can't be measured. Uh, Madame or good sir, I am surely on my way to the major leagues. And the next day, I got a phone call and I found out I had made it onto the A-League this year. Not only that, but like what was traditionally the best team in the A-League. And I hung up the phone. My dad said, well, what did you make? I said, obviously they made the right choice. <laughs> the next week, I had my first practice with this A-League team, traditionally the best team in the A-League. I just failed. Oh, it was dismal. I, I couldn't keep up with the exercises. Like, these guys were beasts. I don't know how they did it. I couldn't catch a ball. I couldn't hit a ball. It was just pathetic. It was so sad and miserable. And at the end of the practice, the coach comes up to me. And very nicely, he said, son, I think it's clear. You don't belong here. <laughs> and it didn't even hurt. Like, you're saying, oh, I was like, that's true. I don't belong here. <laughs> When I compare myself to people on my level or who perform by the standards I expect for myself in baseball, yeah, I was good. But once I was being compared to people who were better than myself and who performed by far superior standards, I was the worst. If we're compared to Jesus as a person, his goodness, his holiness, his perfect nature, his power, his sovereignty, over all of creation, Peter's response is perfectly appropriate. If we're compared by Jesus' standards, we're even worse off. Because Jesus doesn't just assess our actions, he assesses our hearts. Think about the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew, he says, You've heard it said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus takes a law about actions and says, you're missing the point of the law. It's not just about your actions, it's about your heart. It's about your disposition. This is what I care about. Our shortcomings, when compared to Jesus, are suddenly not just flaws or shortcomings. Any lack in our character in comparison to his person or his standards can only be seen as one thing, sin. And it only leaves one category for us, sinners. And the truth of this passage is that we have not fully encountered God if we have not yet seen ourselves in light of who he is and asked him to depart from us because of a self-awareness of our own sin. If you truly encounter Christ, your initial response will be, go away. Go away. What business do you have with me? And this is a deeply scriptural response. Think of Isaiah in our first reading today. A vision of the Lord, and what's his response? Woe is me. You know, Curse me. I'm lost. I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips. Think about the Israelites when they receive uh, the law from Moses at Sinai, what do they say? Moses, you speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. God's calling in our lives 
what it does within us is it produces a shift of address and a shift of perspective. Jesus is Lord, and we are sinners. But, even though Peter recognizes his sinfulness in comparison to Jesus, look at what Jesus says in response in verse 10b. Do not be afraid. Underline that. Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. Jesus doesn't say to Peter, you know what, Peter, you're right. You're too far gone. You're broken. You're a sinner. I can't use you. He says, do not be afraid. And it's this sort of response to sinners that causes critics of Jesus to call him a friend of sinners. This is what he'll be called in the rest of the Gospels. Because Jesus, he didn't come for people who have their lives all put together. In his own words, he says, I I came not for the righteous, but for sinners. And it's a relief. The calling of God does not only come to the holy. If that was the case, then nobody would be called by God. The calling of God comes to those who are broken, those who are sinners, yet those who God still deeply loves and can use for his purposes. Jesus says to Peter and his associates, James and John, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And I think we're too quick to fill in the details because we know where this leads, where this calling upon their lives leads. We know that catching men, that's what the apostles and the disciples and the followers of Jesus will go and do in light of the gospel. They'll go into the world and they'll preach the gospel for the sake of people who God loves that they might know the love of God. This is what catching men is. But in this moment in Luke, Peter has absolutely no idea what catching men means. We don't want to miss this. Peter didn't know exactly where Jesus was calling him or what he wanted him to do or where it would lead or what it would entail. He didn't have all the details. When God calls us, he doesn't hand us a road map. He doesn't tell us, everything that is to happen if we follow him. Uh, The future remains just as unknown, the details often just as fuzzy. But when God calls us, he always calls us uh, first and foremost to Jesus. The calling of God always leads to Jesus, not to certainty about our futures. And while it's not a bad thing to ask you, what is my calling? Because God, he has a calling on your life. There's things God wants to do uniquely through you. But often the way in which we ask that question is too myopic and small. Because while we each have a unique role to play in God's kingdom, and while God calls each of us for that, we are first and foremost called by Jesus, to Jesus, and for Jesus. And if we're going to entertain what God wants to do in our lives, we first have to recognize who we are serving, and who we are called to. And what we do uh, will be a result of reflecting on that. Because if we're called uh, by Jesus and to Jesus and for Jesus, that gives us the freedom to figure out what to do in light of that reality. But the calling of God always requires a response. Look at verse 11. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Everything. Sometimes when God calls us, it will mean that we literally leave everything behind to follow Jesus. 
I don't want to underestimate the, you know, the extreme nature of that. That was very real for Peter, James, and John. That might be the case for some of us here. Not always. But for everyone, the call to follow Jesus always redefines us. As Jesus says, from now on, you'll be catching men. From now on, the calling of God will draw a line in your life, a definitive before and after. And from that point onward, no matter what comes, you follow Jesus. If that means you leave everything, you leave everything. If that means staying put, you stay put. If that means you're uncertain about what to do with your life, you still walk towards the direction of Jesus. But whatever that might look like in your life, wherever Christ may lead you, what we see in this passage is that Jesus is worth it. What makes Jesus worth it? That these men would give up their careers, everything, and follow a man they know practically nothing about. The grace that he offers. The overabundance of fish, so much so that the boats begin to capsize, is only a sign of the overabundance of grace that God offers us. Sinners, a word we don't like. People who fall short of the standards of Jesus. People who fall short of the person of Jesus. People who persistently act in ways that they don't want to act but know better. People who continually seem to just struggle and hurt others. People who just fall short of the own standards they set for themselves. Sinners do not need to be afraid in the holy presence of God because of the abundant grace that God offers to us. Grace being the unmerited forgiveness of our sins and the things that separate us from God. Something we can't earn, something we don't deserve, but something that God extravagantly pours upon our lives. We can drown in grace. Paul, when he reflects on grace, he says, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. You are not so far gone that God's grace can't meet you there. I don't care what you've done. You cannot outsin the grace of God. Christ will pursue you. And if you will simply kneel and recognize him as Lord, you'll find yourself with an overabundance of grace, forgiveness of, of everything, and the unmerited presence of God in your life. And what we see is that when we truly encounter grace, you will find that your feet begin to move in the direction of Jesus. And often it will be at such a pace uh, that your mind and heart will have to catch up along the way. Because following Jesus doesn't always make sense. But it's always worth it. Have you heard this call in your life? Even the smallest glimpse of Jesus, that's enough. You don't have to have it all figured out. The truth is, I don't. The truth is, all of you don't. There will always be more to discover about Jesus. But have you caught a glimpse that makes him desirable? Peter, he didn't have all the answers in this moment. But he decided to follow anyways. Have you responded to the call of God by responding to Jesus and following him and discovering 
that he's Lord. Lastly, I want to ask, you know, uh, what does Peter's calling then mean for us as a community? Because that's the point of this series. Our vision as a community is not something we can bring about. It's beyond us. Think about it. I mean, really think about it. The spiritual, social, and cultural renewal of Vancouver. That's impossible for us. We can't bring that about. We're a room of a hundred or so people. It's absurd, really. And often, you know, very well-meaning people among you come up to me and say, Alistair, spell out the plan. You're like, tell me what the plan is. How are we going to accomplish this vision? And I say, I've got some ideas. Like, you know, we can do this, you know, and Mike can keep playing awesome music, and, you know, Roger will teach these things, and, you know, we'll serve in these capacities. But uh, the truth is, unless Jesus shows up, the vision's not going to come to pass. We need Jesus to show up and make it happen. Our calling then as a community is not a calling to a vision statement. Our calling as a community is a calling to Jesus over our vision. While I believe God's hands are all over the vision of our our community, uh, over time we might come to see we were off base. Or we might have gotten this part wrong or that God wants us to do something else altogether as a community. Why? Because Jesus is Lord over his church. To the best of my ability as your pastor, I believe God wants us as a community to join him in the spiritual, social, and cultural renewal of Vancouver. I believe this is scripturally rooted. I believe it is spirit-led, but I can't say with certainty how it's going to play out. Because we have to let Jesus have the final say. What I do know is that God will always call us to more than we're able to accomplish on our own. It'll have to be his work in and through us. But no matter where he takes us, we are always fundamentally called to be a community transformed by the gospel, a community transformed by the ever-present reality of Christ's death and resurrection. That will never change at St. Peter's. Our only responsibility is not to see our vision come to pass, but to follow Jesus and allow him to make it happen. It will always depend upon Jesus who called us. It will depend upon Jesus who is Lord over all the universe. So here's what you need to know if you call St. Peter's home. As a community, we're, we're not called to our vision. In one sense, it's too big. We just wouldn't be able to pull it off on our own strength. And in another sense, it's too small if we just... Uh, settle for well-written words over God's calling. As a community, we are called by Jesus, to Jesus, and for Jesus. That's our calling. 